Welcome, Deborah Meredith, to uh, Perfect Health on Elastic FM with Elaine Godley. Lovely to uh, see you again, or hear you, meet you, <laughs> whatever. Hi, Elaine. Nice to see you as well. Okay, so uh, this is going out um, audio-wise on my, my programme shortly. Um, so um, we first met a long, long time ago when we were in, in, uh, involved with a women's group that shall remain nameless. Yes. Uh, connected, <laughs> you know, reconnected and gelled well. So um, your, your reason for wanting to be on the programme for this particular episode is about um, the psychological impact of abuse, uh, an abusive husband in, in particular, I, I believe, but, but abusive people generally. Yes, it is. And it was about how sort of the psychology affects your physiology and your health as well. So that was why I connected with you in terms of being on the programme but driven by psychological abuse. Yeah, absolutely. Because as, as we know, well, we know, but not many people do know, um, where your mind goes, your body follows. Absolutely. So have, whatever you have in your mind is, is um, instantly connected to your body. Your body has no choice but to follow whatever's in the mind. So um, it's, it's, it's a great subject and has lots of aspects to it. It does indeed. Okay, so tell, it, tell us about your story, Deborah. Well, basically, um, back in 2005, I set up a business and it became a UK industry leading business. And at the same time, I just had a baby, which is why I set the business up. And as the business was growing very fast, um, you know, my profile was being raised. I sat on the Institute of Directors Management Committee for Wales. I was cited by Insider Magazine as one of South Wales' top 20 entrepreneurs to watch. Um, so life was really good, but I was desperately unhappy and didn't know why. And it was New Year's Eve 2008 that my business became insolvent. And going through the process of putting that business into administration and picking up the pieces afterwards and looking back and seeing, is there anything that I could have done better, anything I could have changed? I discovered that my now ex-husband had been sabotaging the business from within but not only that i also realized that i had been um, a victim of psychological abuse from him but as is the case with so many women and men actually in these sorts of relationships you don't actually realize you're being abused because we all we all know what physical abuse is you know if somebody gets beaten they're being abused they should leave their partner when it's psychological you spend an awful lot of time thinking is it me? Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, no, no, that's not, that's not me. And the abuser is very clever at making you question everything that you've got going on and make you doubt yourself. So every time something coming up and I was thinking, no, this isn't right. This needs to be done in a different way. I was allowing myself to be talked around, to be talked out of what I knew was right. And I stopped listening to my inner voice, my gut instinct, if you like and started doing what I was told to do and what I was advised to do. I believe and that's, called, that's called gaslighting, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And it took the best part of 10 years for me to actually realise um, the impact that relationship had had on me. And it was only through speaking with police officers, speaking with women's agencies, um, women's aid, Gemini, Refuge, etc., that I realized that actually I'd been in this relationship pretty much since day one. And with a now teenage son, it's actually been ongoing in my life for 17 years, even though I've been separated 
and divorced from my husband for 10, um, it's still ongoing because you have that link with the child. And when they can't get you, they get you through the child. Yes. And it, it's quite, um, quite difficult. You, you spend a lot of time doubting yourself. It, it eats away at your self-confidence, your self-esteem, to the point where you actually don't trust yourself anymore and you don't feel capable of anything. And it's been a very long process to turn that around, learn the lessons from it, accept that, yes, you know what, I am quite an intelligent woman and I have got something to bring to the table. I have got gifts I want to share. And for me, therapeutically, I wrote it all down, then realized that there was enough there to write a book. And I ended up writing two books, not just my story, but learning the applying the lessons I'd learned to turn my life around into a second book, a coaching book. Um, and they've just been published and they're out there and that's why I'm now talking to you. So Brilliant. that's what I found. <laughs> so, so what are the books called, Deborah? Well, the books are Whatever It Takes, Living With, Leaving and Surviving Psychological Abuse, which is obviously my story. And the second book is Create Your Blockbuster Life, How to Step Out of the Wings into Your Spotlight. One of the things that I did in the last 10 years was gain my equity card and spotlight membership. My lifelong dream had been to be a professional actor. And I decided, you know what, I've got absolutely nothing else to lose. I'm going to go for it and see if I can achieve it. And I did. So I wanted to create some link to the things I'm really passionate about whilst sharing my story and hopefully giving some inspiration, some hope and some motivation to others in a similar situation that it doesn't always have to be like that. They can move on. They can change their lives. And of course, within my story is the health issues that I suffered. When I started letting go of the fact that I was no longer controlled by this man, within about six months of starting my new life, I ended up on a cancer fast track and had an emergency hysterectomy was suspended, suspected of ovarian cancer. Uh, thankfully, it wasn't cancer, but... You know, it, it took a lot. I had to go through that process, um, had all my bits removed. Never been healthier since, I have to say. 18 months after that, I then had my gallbladder removed because I was having lots of problems internally, the digestive system, reproductive system. They were all fighting against what was going on in my, in my mind. And I learned that I'd been actually chronically stressed for the best part of 15, 20 years. Stress has a big impact on, on all of our lives. We need an, an element of stress, don't we, to get out of bed in the morning. We need to well, have that's right. But it's when everything gets out of balance that, that the issues are. <clears throat> and as you were saying, um, holding, holding everything within. So when you're in a, in a relationship that's volatile and you can't express who you are naturally, you obviously hold things in. And so many conditions, so many health conditions are as a result of internalising whatever it is that you really need to vocalise. And exactly but we all learn um we all learn as we go along and but we're not taught this at school are we if, if only we could be taught this at school i know and um it's some work i do now i, I do some work in a school and talk to the kids and try and get the kids to talk about whatever's causing them a problem be it friendship issues be it struggles with their studies just by getting them to talk and open up it makes such a difference relieves the pressure on them and alleviates their stress and i think it's so underplayed the importance of talking things through and we're losing that ability we spend so much time in front of a screen but sort of glued to a screen rather than actually having a conversation like we are now we're sort of just following stories on facebook or twitter or whatever we might be doing or gaming 
and not having a conversation or a debate or a discussion that airs our, our issues, our problems. Absolutely right. So what advice would you give or, or suggestions would you make to anybody, whether it's man or woman or trans person um, in a relationship that um, is, is when you're constantly questioning yourself, what, what, what would be the first things for them to do to get out of that situation? The first thing for them to do would be to actually acknowledge their inner voice and acknowledge that, no, they're not imagining it. It is going on. Um, call women's aid, call refuge, call even 101. There was one day I didn't know where to turn and I phoned 101, which is the non-emergency police services. And I, and I just said to myself, I have no idea who to talk to. I think I'm being bullied. And I must have been on the phone for about an hour to a fantastic police officer who then gave me the contact numbers for where I could get help in my area. And they were able to help me and support me. Now, the biggest issue I had, because I wasn't being physically threatened, there was no violence, they couldn't send me to Women's Aid, for example, or to a women's hostel. But they were able to give me lots of good advice in terms of writing everything down so that I at least had a catalogue of what was going on. Um, and it's that made a massive, massive difference. Just going back over it once I, I probably got out and realising that actually there's a pattern here. It's systematic um, and it's not me. You know, I'm not imagining this. This is ongoing. And it's things I've had to do with my son now. He's been living with me for the last six months and slowly things are coming out um, because that was another thing um, his father had told the authorities that, that I was an unfit mother and they believed him and unfortunately the even the professions get taken in by the abuser because they are so convincing and of course they have the confidence they will confidently go out and say, oh, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Don't be so ridiculous. She's not, she's not, so, you know, I'm not doing that to her. I, I love her. I want to look after her. I'm trying to look after my son, my child. Mm. Um, so they're very, very good at getting the professions on side. And when you're then faced with that, the professions telling you, I was in a courtroom and basically the barrister said to me, they didn't believe me. They were taking everything the ex was saying, literally. And everything I was saying, they were spinning it around and twisting it. So they were actually enabling him to abuse me as well. And they were continuing to abuse me. Um, it, was, it was horrific. But when you get talking to people, when you see the pattern and you're able to present that to somebody else, it really, really does make a difference. And that's the first thing I would say to do. Write it down because you've got the pattern. You can see for yourself happening and then do whatever it is you need to do what it takes to get out of that situation if it means moving into a rental property for a short period of time do that if it means asking a friend if you can live in their spare room for a short period of time do that i ended up going back to my parents for a short while not great when you're approaching 40 but i was in a position i was able to do that you know they were happy for me to go there but it got me out it made that break and then it gave me the space to start thinking right where am I going with my life? What do I need to do? What do I need to get in place? It's writing down is, is so cathartic. You've obviously taken it a step further and you've written your two books. But yeah. it really is a very simple thing that anybody can do, even if people can't write. I mean, there are people now who, who you know, 
if dyslexia and someone who finds it difficult, but talk talk into a dictaphone, talk to Google, you know, get 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 um get it off your chest, whether it's writing it on a piece of paper or um uh, having it recorded and then playing back. But you're so right, the, the trends and the patterns. Um when I'm mentoring people through cancer, the first one of the first things I say to them is, What do you eat? How do you eat? And they 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 trot out what, what stuff they're eating at the moment. I said, Okay, um, I say, okay, write it down and you will see a trend in your eating pattern and you need to change that. But until people actually see it for themselves, they think, oh, the odd, the odd bit of the cake or the odd, you know, chew too many coffees or whatever, it's not going not gonna to make a difference. But when you see the pattern, when you see the trend, all these little things that don't seem to make a difference or people don't believe they will actually do. And it's a cumulative effect, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, a compound effect, isn't it? Yes. Right everything sort of adds up is it Tesco say every little helps and it's the yeah. same thing you yeah. know you save save a penny here penny there before long you're saving pounds and um, the same goes with food and with writing anything down all those small little chips away and you know, psychological abuse it is it's those tiny chips away at your confidence that gradually over time weigh you down yes so so when you got to the point of realizing what was happening um, you went back to your parents and um, did your son go with you there? No, unfortunately, um, I'd decided in my wisdom that I didn't want to disrupt my son too much. He was quite settled. He'd started school. So I thought once I've got myself sorted, I'll actually go back and get him and take him with me. Unfortunately, in the eyes of the law, I had given up my right to be his primary carer. And there commenced a 10 year long legal battle, which wasn't pretty, wasn't cheap. Um, but finally, in December last year, my son, who was then 12, stood up to his dad and said, Dad, I want to go and live with my mum. And his father, unfortunately, was quite nasty, but literally threw him out. But I was there, I went and picked him up. Um, got my son and he's been with me now since then. He's very happy. He's totally different child he's relaxed he's happy his fear has gone um and he loves his school <laughs> he's um he's allowed now to have a bit of a childhood he's got nobody making him feel guilty he goes and visits his dad occasionally and all he, he said mum dad just makes me feel guilty about leaving and he's always having a go at you and at 13 he's quite a quite a big lad um quite tall and he's now started saying dad stop saying things like that about my mum mm -hmm. You know, yeah, it yeah. but up until that point, mm -hmm. he had to speak to um, Kafkas, who would represent him in court, and even they didn't believe him. And they wouldn't see him independently of his father, which is what I'd asked for. Mm -hmm. So he said, well, I couldn't tell them what I wanted because dad was stood outside listening at the door. Goodness me. Have you, have you, well, I'm sure knowing you, you would have given feedback of some sort along the way. Um, <laughs> yes, they did receive a significant complaint um, and I advised them that they needed to look at the way they train their staff and bear things in mind because, you know, I might have come across, they basically thought I was a neurotic mum and that I was just saying things for the sake of saying things. I said, but they do need to understand that there's two sides to every story and if one person is saying something which might sound a bit extreme, they do need to pay attention to it because something if not exactly what is being said is taking place something similar is likely to be taking place so whether they've changed their training i don't know whether they've changed the way they view things i don't know 
Um, but I do know that I got the, the complaint was acknowledged and they advised me they were going to follow it through. So we shall see. Unfortunately, my son said, I'm never speaking to them again because they didn't believe me. So it took his strength to say, I want to go and live with my mum. His dad throwing him out. We then went to court to get it all sorted out um, and basically put in place and legal and above board. And my son said, I'll say, you know, I'm, I'll do what I want to do. This is what I'm doing. I'm not going to speak to Kafkas because his dad had then thrown him out. His dad turned up in court and said, no, he wants to live with his mum. He can stay there. Well, at least he had the uh, humility to say that in court, which was which was good. But people just go on; they get so bitter and resentful, and it's it's like it eats them up, doesn't it? This sort of um, I don't know what it's jealousy or I, I don't know That's what it is that possesses them to to behave in the way that they do. But I've I've, I've experienced it twice. Um, mm. it leads me on to a question that I'm sure you would have covered in your book somewhere or another about um, patterns of behaviour. We tend to sort of attract the same type of people. Um, until we kind of get out of that um, sort of mouse wheel sort of thing. So, so why do you think it is that, that it's women in particular, but you do see it with men as well, attracting types of people that just are, are, aren't good for them? I don't know. I think initially there's an element, I suppose, of the bad boy image or whatever it is. Um, and I certainly, and I'm not unique in this, I went from a physically abusive marriage my first marriage, then my second marriage was psychologically abusive, and then I went into a long-term relationship with somebody who was financially controlling. Um, now, each time, I, I joke that I improved. Things, things got slightly better each time um, until I left the third relationship. But I don't know what it is. I think we allow ourselves to get charmed because these people are usually very, very charming. Um, so we allow ourselves to get taken in by that. And then before we know it, we're involved in a relationship. Our life is so entwined with theirs. Um, we're perhaps living with them or very much in a very sort of interlocked relationship. It's difficult to get out. And as you get older as well, I think we all feel, oh, well, I, was, I wanted to settle down by now. Um, we do, and the media is the same. It puts these deadlines on us. By 30, you need to have ha had the career. By 40, you need to be financially secure and know exactly what's going on life needs to be sorted and then 50 and 60 and so on and so forth and the reality is life isn't like that you know we do get affected by the people we mix with by the people we meet by the people we allow into our lives and it takes a lot of courage to then say actually I've made a mistake or I've made a mistake again mm. and I think scared of that so a lot of us stay in relationships that aren't right for us because we worry about the unknown am I going to be able to cope on my own can I even manage to afford to live on my own will I make the same mistakes again what if the next person I meet is worse mm. um, so there's a lot of fear attached to it and as well because of the way those relationships work, we become very dependent on the other person. And they make us believe that we're incapable of living without them. It's a case of being on the too difficult pile, isn't it? When you get to, when you add all those things up together, um, mm. you know, all the what ifs, it's then, oh God, it's too difficult. I'll just better the devil you know, and you'll stay where I am, which is what That's people it. do in careers as well, if they made a bad career choice or 
or not necessarily a bad choice, but something that's not turned out to be what they thought it was. Um, it's too difficult. So they stay where they are. And then before they know where they are, you know, they're retired and they're living a miserable life. And then they'll, they, they won't um, have planned things properly. And then they get cancer or, or um, you know, Parkinson's, diabetes, um, or diabetes, you know, but what do you call that? Alzheimer's, you know, those sorts mm. of things come over um, upon us and our life is gone. And it's, it's just so short. So, so what's your key message to anybody who is listening to this interview and um, thinking, mm, I recognise some of that behaviour? So, so write it down to start with. What, what else can they do? Um, I would suggest, and that's why I'd call the book Whatever It Takes, do whatever it takes to extricate yourself from that position because you can always, always start again. It won't be easy. You know, nobody says it's going to be easy. But if you want to change the situation you're in badly enough, you will find a way to make it happen. And I say to someone, he says to me, Mum, I want to do X, but I can't find out a way to do it. And I say to him, look at it differently. There is always a solution. It might not be the easiest route, but there is always a solution. You can do anything you want. And I use getting my equity card as an example. Um, you know, I would had the opportunity to go to drama college when I left school at 18. In fact, I got offered a deferred place at RADA and then I didn't go, I didn't take it. Um, so I actually went about it the long way and I took the difficult path into getting my equity card, but I managed it by becoming an extra, by doing lots of amateur drama. And then gradually I got enough work on my CV that I was able to apply for professional work, got some professional work, only small parts, but I was getting paid to do what I really, really loved. And then I was able to say, look, I've done the professional work. Here we are. I want to get my equity card now. And they accepted that those bits of professional work was sufficient for me to get my equity card. It wasn't the easiest route by any stretch of the imagination, but I achieved that goal. Likewise, when I knew I needed to move, um, yes, I had to go back to my parents wasn't easy it wasn't something I really wanted to do but it gave me that breathing space I needed so I could work out where I was going next I was able to get control of my finances get control of what was important in life and sometimes it's about pairing back stripping things back to the absolute absolute necessities and then you work from there as long as you've got an income of sorts as long as you've got shelter as long as you've got food and clothing then actually that's what you need. The rest of it will come. The important things are your, your health and your well-being. Everything else is just stuff. Absolutely. And it's incredible how so few people take action until in, the pain is so bad that they have no choice. Exactly. Um, and that makes the recovery a lot, lot more difficult, doesn't it? That's it. You know, you, it's like they go really, really down, and then they can't go down any further. The only way is up. You know, that's that song um, by M People. The only way yeah. is um, So, do you do acting now? Are you acting as well as um, helping in schools? I am. I do bits and pieces. In fact, I've got a production coming up at the end of November in Bristol. Um, luckily, I worked with the director five years ago and did a small tour in the southwest. She contacted me again recently and said, I've got another play coming up. I'd like you in it. Are you available? And I'll fit the rehearsal schedule around you. I know you're working in a school. So, you know, let's, let's make the rehearsals work. So we started rehearsing fairly recently with school holidays. I've got a lot more time on my hands than I would normally. 
So we started rehearsing and we'll be doing a lot more intense rehearsals in the October half term, ready for a November production, but that's a professional production. I don't do as much as I would like to, but I'm still doing professional work and it's great because I get to do bits of everything I really love now. I've created my life on my terms. I've created my own blockbuster life. That's brilliant. And that is so important as well. People think they have to do things because that's what's expected of them. Or if they don't do such and such, it will, you know, it will let somebody down or whatever, instead of putting themselves at the center. And if you live a happy life, then you can help more people. You can influence and inspire more people. Um, and it glows from the inside out. You can see people who are, who are happy, can't you? Just walking down the street, people watching, exactly. you know who's happy, who's got the worries of the world on their shoulders. It really does shine through, as it does with you, Deborah. So thank you for <laughs> time with us this afternoon. And um, your two song choices, um, I, I, don't, I don't think they take any explanation at all. So uh, one of them is by Alice Cooper called Poison. Yes. And uh, the other one is Shirley Bassey, I Am What I Am. That's right. Fabulous. So I'll be playing those for you, Deborah. So how do people, um, just to finish up now, how do people get hold of your books? Right, well, the books are available on my website, which is notarehearsal.co.uk. There's a separate website for each book as well. One is whateverittakesbook.co.uk, and the other is blockbusterlife.co.uk. They can buy them online, and I'll send them out to them. And if they're really lucky, I'll sign them as well. Right, it's brilliant. Okay, I must do that. I keep, I keep meaning to uh, to do that. I, I actually did go as far as to, to going on the website and then I must have got distracted because I never pressed, <laughs> pressed the order button, so I must do that. Um, so not, not a rehearsal, notarehearsal.co.uk. That's it. So presumably that will lead to the book um, sites as well and that's about your coaching stuff, is it? That's right. Brilliant. Okay. Well, Deborah Meredith, thank you very much and best of luck with your play coming up in November and to becoming an Amazon bestseller. Lovely. Thank you, Elaine.